Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And this episode is brought to you by Brightside, ZocDoc, and HelloFresh. You'll hear about those in a moment. This week, we got rumors on almost every line in Apple's product category. We're going to talk about their earnings, the MagSafe battery pack, and of course, the Safari design in Beta 4. And to do that, my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good. I'm a little jittery today. I drank some Death Wish coffee, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Death Wish? What kind of caffeine content is in that? You know, I didn't look, but it has a skull and crossbones on the front, so I'm pretty confident it's extreme. I think you are talking a little faster. I think it's already hitting you. That's something. <laughs> I might be traveling through time and space at a different rate than you are. We'll, we'll see. That's right. You, you've already seen uh, For All Mankind Season 4. That's what happens <laughs> when you do that. So just as a side note, this is not a, a review podcast. Although, hey, listeners, if you'd like to hear us review some of the shows on Apple TV Plus, I'd love to hear it. But I finished season two for all mankind. No spoilers, but it was very good. I just want to say that. Yeah, I've been racing through Apple TV Plus content in the last month, just trying to, you know, catch up because I, 2020 may as well not existed as far as like watching television. So I'm just now finishing like C and all the things that came out in 2019. And I'm on season two of uh, for all mankind now. So yes, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay, but you didn't finish it yet. No, I need to watch. I need to watch that. It's like the one thing from the like original series that I haven't watched yet. Gotcha. It is very good, listeners. I encourage you to check it out. And I did. I was deciding: do I want to watch Ted Lasso week to week, or am I going to just wait twelve weeks and binge it at the end? But some people on Twitter convinced me I'm going to watch it week to week. So I saw episode one of Ted Lasso. It's a good show. You should check it out. Well, Apple made a ton of money in the recent quarter. We won't spend a lot of time on the earnings, but they had their third quarter earnings call a record-breaking $81.4 billion in total revenue, basically totally blowing out all of the analyst expectations. That's a 36% up year over year from last year. And again, even in their COVID quarter last year and with all the shortages and all that's going on this year, still breaking all the records. I thought it was interesting. The iPad had its highest June quarter in nearly a decade, which again, a June quarter that would point to, I would think, the new M1 iPad Pros that came out recently. They were available to buy, I think, in May, and they arrived also late May. Do you think the M1s had anything to do with this uh, uptick? In the iPad sales? Maybe. I think we're still seeing a lot of residuals from the iPad Air as well. Right. I don't think the iPad Pro sells enough to really affect the bottom line. It's It sells, of course. I mean, Apple wouldn't make it if it didn't, but yeah, oh yeah. I, I think these lower-end iPads are really driving these numbers. Um, I mean, this is the time of year. This quarter is, you know, school's ending and uh, people are coming into summer, but I think a lot of parents and stuff start gearing up for the next school season. So I think a lot of, oh yeah. you know, low-end device sales are coming out. But maybe the M1 had a part in it. I mean, this is a very exciting device. It's hard to say. For sure. Tim Cook actually said there was a particularly strong response to the iPhone 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max, which was part of the huge revenue in this third quarter. I think it's just an extremely popular model. You know, they talk about super cycles and this being kind of the the first hardware redesign in a little bit. I mean, the 11 was a little different, but this is, you know, going back to the square edges, new physical design and all that first 5G iPhone probably had a lot to do with it, but that's really popular. A couple other points of interest, I thought. Apple said there are 700 million paid subscriptions across all services and the App Store. I think they were talking about their services revenue like directly. So I mean, this would be Apple 
service subscriptions. Does that sound right? So services encompasses, it's a catch-all. It's App Store. Right. It's everything they earn, that 15%, 30% cut. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Um, Apple TV+, Plus, Apple One, Apple Arcade. It's everything under one category. And so I'm curious, you know, 700 million paid subscriptions. Are they counting Apple One bundles as one? Every family member as one, but... Yeah, I don't think they have to fudge that number. It, I mean, an Apple right. One subscription is is ex- exactly one subscription, but right. they're not saying, oh, well, Apple One, that's seven subscriptions. Yeah, that's great. No, it's it's definitely one for one. It, that 700 million number comes from everything you can subscribe to through right. the App Store, which it's increasing every day. There's a new app that comes out and says, well, we've moved to a subscription platform, you know. Right. And then a couple of the things I thought was interesting, Apple said that most Apple Watch buyers this last quarter were new to the products. So these were not upgraders, but new Apple Watch buyers. They said for the worldwide, 75% on Apple Watch were new to the product. I think that was very interesting. I'm curious if it was an Apple Watch SE or Series 6, you know, there wasn't any kind of standout feature in the last Series 6 aside from the oxygen sensor thing. Maybe that was more popular than not. Apple Watch is a curious device because it's what, 2015 was its official release. Yep. So yep. We're, we're six years on. It, unlike iPhone, it hasn't penetrated the market in the same way. Right. I mean, it's selling in the millions, but, you know, with billions of people using iPhones, it's the question is, is, you know, how far can they get? And right. I feel like every quarter, if not at least a couple times a year, we hear Tim Cook say something along the lines of, and 30 to 70% of buyers are, are new to the platform. I think that happens every single time, which is interesting. It just shows that the penetration hasn't quite reached iPhone levels. Right. They did say that half of the purchasers of Mac and iPad were new to the product as well, which is pretty exciting. I mean, half of the purchasers in a quarter, not being upgraders, but being brand new to the Mac platform and the iPad, I mean, I think it just goes to show that M1, probably MacBook Air, obviously their best-selling laptop, the MacBook Air, probably has a lot to do with it. I mean, it is such an easy suggestion. I've had multiple people ask me, you know, I'm a student, uh, what should I get? Or just, I've had a MacBook Air or a MacBook for like seven or eight years and I want to upgrade, what should I get? It's just MacBook Air, M1. No question, <laughs> just get it. I've always wondered how they determine that number. What is a new user to the platform are they creating a new apple id or are they setting it up as a new computer i I mean it has to be the apple id right because if it's just a new device inside of that person's network it it, i don't know it's just it's such an odd mathematic kind of thing right like they can see like if you log into icloud.com and you can see all the devices associated with your icloud account i guess apple probably anonymizes the data but they could probably see oh this is the first time a mac has ever been attached to this iCloud key or whatever. So yeah, I'm not sure. It could just be anecdotal, unknown. But I thought it was interesting metric. Again, exciting for Apple. Incredible that the Mac is now just a very exciting product once again with all the M1 stuff. So looking forward to the fall and we'll get to some of those rumors again. Now you just pasted in here as I was talking something about Spotify. Wes, why don't you tell me about Spotify? Well, it's just one of those curious things where we like to cover it because it is a competitor to Apple Music, but this company just doesn't seem to know how to earn money. Uh, They lost $23.6 million in this quarter. Now, here's here's the fun fact on this, though, because that number isn't that bad for Spotify. Um, It turns out the year ago quarter, 
The same quarter last year, they lost 356 million euros, which is, you know, around you know, three, 375 million dollars. That's insane. <laughs> that is a lot of money. They've improved. They're losing less now. Right. It, the thing is, is like we can't judge Spotify quarter to quarter because if you look at their graph, it's all over the place. It doesn't matter. They've only lost 23 million uh, this quarter because the next quarter they could lose 500 million. It's that sporadic of a company. Now, every now and then they do post a profit. So before Spotify people come after me, yes, we we know that two out of the last 40 quarters they've posted a profit, but it's just one of those things where it's a, it's a very odd company. They yeah. they come under fire for paying artists less than they should, uh, sometimes straight up stealing music, or quote unquote, or allegedly taking music without asking. And then they turn around and pay what, Joe Rogan millions of dollars. It's, right. it's, it's just a very odd company. Yeah, I mean, they're trying their best to, I don't know, enter new areas like with the podcasting thing but i find it insane and it's just always fun to point out that their business model is what's working against them for every new user that they get they lose money there's actually no way to fix that if there's a new user that comes to their platform and starts listening to music they immediately start losing money on that customer if they're not if they're not a paying customer even if they're listening to ads because they're just not making that money back so in order to gain money per customer they introduce podcasts so that they hope people who are on the platform will listen to podcasts which doesn't cost spotify any additional money gotcha and they get to listen to the ads while they're doing that so that's the that that right now is their plan is to supplement their income by getting people to not listen to music on the music streaming platform such an odd business that is strange well anyway as always apple over there just printing money Pretty incredible. We'll put a link to all the earnings reports and points of interest if you'd like to read those. And now we enter a bunch of rumors and leaks that have come up, kind of seems like just on so many of the different products. The iPad Mini 6, which we've talked about before, this was a tweet from Ross Young at Display Supply Chain Consultants was saying the next iPad Mini, the 6, which is going to be like that iPad Air style design, flat edges, no home button, touch ID in that sleep button, that it's going to have an 8.3 inch display up from the current 7.9 inch, but the footprint will be exactly the same as the current iPad mini model. Ming-Chi Kuo thought it might be larger, that the actual physical device side will get bigger and have a bigger screen. But now this is saying it'll stay the same footprint and it'll go with a 8.3 inch screen. And the, the only reason I wanted to talk about the iPad mini again is I actually got a tweet from Andrew Williams, you know, we talked about, actually last time you were on the show, Wes, the different Kindle options and maybe using an iPad mini versus a Kindle for ebook reading. And one of the things that attracted me about the Kindle options was the kids edition, which was pretty inexpensive. But Andrew said he bought one of those Kindle kids editions for his child a couple months ago and he returned it. He said the experience was awful. And instead he got a current iPad mini and it just has worked out a lot better. So Uh, anecdotal information from Andrew Williams and kind of what we talked about last time about Kindle versus iPad mini. iPad mini looks like it might be the better option. And if this thing comes out in the fall, I'm going to be tempted. I'll be honest. So excited for that. Yeah, I've heard similar stories about uh, Kindle users. I mean, if you pay for the more expensive ones, I guess you're getting a better chipset. But a lot of those ones, right. especially the kids ones, are not running modern chips. They're the weaker versions of it. They're saving on cost everywhere they can using cheaper materials. So everything is just a cost-cutting thing for Amazon. And that experience just isn't going to be good for the user. Whereas it doesn't matter which iPad you're buying from Apple, you're getting a modern chipset, a good display, and a overall better experience in my opinion yeah yeah. just it's it's always funny hearing like oh yeah you can just go get a kindle and do this and it's like well can you do exactly (laughs) the same yeah no no you can't so 
Moving on, the high-end iMac, which again, we have the M1 iMac, which replaced the 21.5-inch screen, but we're still waiting for the larger screen iMac, possibly with an M1X chip or some other chip, a more powerful iMac, maybe to replace the iMac Pro. The latest rumors now point it might not be coming this year. We might have to wait till 2022. This came from Leaker on Twitter, Dylan DKT says the high-end iMac will be released in 2022. Now, this is a little disappointing uh, for me because I've been considering what higher-end Mac will I get? I have the M1 MacBook Pro right now. I want something more powerful with an M1X chip or whatever Apple calls it. And I've been considering like maybe I go with a desktop, maybe I go with a laptop. But I thought this fall, it would be easy to make the choice because they would all be available. But now it looks like they might be a little more spread out, maybe due to chip shortages, maybe the COVID supply chain issues and all that kind of stuff. But it looks like maybe we might have to wait till 2022 for a refreshed iMac Pro, larger size iMac. Yeah, I think Apple's on the clock a little bit here, though. They said two years right. during WWDC, but I think that timer started when the first one released. I'm not going to you know, say, oh, they said this at WWDC, so that must be two years from then. Maybe Apple wants to meet that goal. I mean, that's only like a four-month difference. I could see Apple at least announcing every single Apple Silicon-based Mac by June of next year, only to release, you know, like the super high-end Mac Pro version of it in December or something. Right. Yeah, th this this two-year counter thing, I don't know if Apple shot themselves in the foot. Definitely want to meet it or, you know, the whole world's going to be bad press, bad press. So uh, Apple fails to meet sure, sure. goal of two-year transition, blah, blah, blah. Although I feel like they've so proved themselves with the M1 that it would be tempered press coverage, I think, at the at the least, you know. But I think they, they could still do it. You know, if they do the 14, 16-inch MacBook Pro this year, they released the larger iMac early 2022, and then the Mac Pro announced at WWDC. I mean, that would be it pretty much. So yeah, that's all we're that's all we're lacking is the mythical 14-inch MacBook Pro, 16-inch <laughs> MacBook Pro, 27, 35-inch iMac, right? Mac Pro. That's that's it. Yeah, that's it. This episode is brought to you by Brightside. This past year and a half has taken an unprecedented toll on all parts of our lives. And with everything going on with COVID and the Delta variant, it can feel like kind of the world's closing in and maybe you feel alone or maybe you feel anxious and depressed. Well, you're not alone. 40% of Americans report symptoms of anxiety or depression and you can get fast, personalized help from Brightside. Brightside offers personalized, life-changing anxiety and depression care from your own home. Most mental health providers make getting help exhaustingly difficult, or you get the same treatment as everyone else and you don't feel any better. But Brightside offers help for the full spectrum of anxiety and depression conditions. So no matter what you're feeling, you'll get a treatment plan tailored to your specific needs on your schedule. You can go to brightside.com slash Apple Insider and take a quick free mental health assessment. And within 48 hours, you're connected with your expert provider to start your personalized treatment plan. I took Brightside's assessment and just answering some of those questions helps reveal maybe how I might be feeling that might be a little off-center or off-kilter. And Brightside offers incredible help for those struggling with anxiety and depression. I've had that in my family. It, it can be so difficult just every day dealing with those feelings, but Brightside can help. Whether you choose therapy, medication, or both, all of their plans follow the highest clinical standards, and it's affordable. With a flat monthly fee and no hidden costs, you can get all the help you need without worrying about a big bill. Plus, with Brightside's Better Care Guarantee, you can get a full refund within 30 days, no questions asked. Join thousands of Brightside members taking back their lives. 
Take a free mental health assessment and get up to $100 credit on your first month of treatment at brightside.com slash Apple Insider. That's brightside.com slash Apple Insider. Take that free assessment and learn more. Brightside.com slash Apple Insider. The link will be in the show notes as well. Our thanks to Brightside for sponsoring this episode. Another rumor, this is from leaker Yuki ANS, and he's saying that the future Mac Pro is rumored to use an Intel Xeon W3300 CPU family chip, which basically means that Apple might release another Intel-based Mac Pro, maybe alongside an Apple Silicon version that's a smaller size Mac Pro that's been rumored in the past. You know, Apple said that they still have a couple Intel computers in the lineup when they made the Apple Silicon announcement at WWDC 2020, we still had the Intel 27-inch iMac that came out after that announcement. Was that the only Intel computer they were going to release, you know, before they transitioned the whole line? Maybe it could be this updated Mac Pro for the pros that still want that Intel chip. So Our editor, uh, Mike uh, Worthley, had to correct me on this because I said in the piece that there's only been one Intel Mac Pro. You know, what I meant was there's only been one one of the new tower Intel Mac Pros, of course. But, you know, he said, you know, the trash can disagrees with you. But, um, <laughs> yes, the uh, current cheese grater Mac Pro only has one Intel version chips in it. I think they did a, a slight bump. If I, if I'm, I, I don't know if I remember I that correctly, so. uh, but they did a slight bump or some kind of uh, processor upgrade last year. But yeah, like the, there hasn't been any kind of updates to that. So I could easily see Apple saying here is the new Mac pro big tower edition. It's the same, ta- it's the same exact design, takes the same modules and everything as the previous Intel one, just new chips. Oh, and also here's this uh, M series Mac Pro that happens to be in a chassis the half the size right. of this Mac Pro with the Intel processors, the new updated ones, alongside the much smaller uh, M series Mac Pro tower. So we'll see. That could be a spring yeah. thing, maybe. I'm at a place right now. Maybe you can you can convince me one way or the other, Wes. I've been trying to use my iPad Pro for a lot of things. And I have my M1 MacBook Pro here, and it honestly has been sitting in this bridge vertical dock almost all the time. I take it out because I don't want the battery just like sitting there charging 24-7. But I've kind of been leaving it just in this office dock the whole time. And I'm like, do I get an M1 Mac Mini and not worry about the battery on this MacBook Pro anymore, trade it in, and then maybe when the 14-inch MacBook Pro comes out, I upgrade to that? or do I keep this and get the higher end iMac when it comes out and that'd be my setup? But I don't know. I'm not sure what to do because I'm just leaving this thing docked the whole time. What should I do? Should I trade it in and get a Mac Mini M1? The Mac Mini's already been out for a while. I would I would hold off. Uh, okay. Well, my philosophy with with this stuff, as you know, is like being an iPad user. I don't want multiple versions of the same computer, so I don't want to have a MacBook Pro and an iPad Pro. I would never. It, it would just be annoying to me. I, I I would never touch the MacBook Pro because the iPad Pro is right here. Right. Uh, just like I have a Mac Mini and it gets used for very rare occasions because there's very specific things I need to do. Like some web pages just behave better on a desktop Safari or or I need yeah. access to desktop Chrome for 
something silly that Google has that only works in Chrome. But yeah, like I never touch that thing, but that's just me. But for you, I would say a similar philosophy wouldn't be a terrible idea. Wait for that bigger desktop iMac and use that as your Mac. Right. You know, if if it's always going to be stationary, wait for that big, beautiful display to come out. Um, don't spend the money on a monitor. I know you probably already have one, but like having that built-in display will be nice. And of course, the new iMac will probably support two or three external monitors. So you can go crazy and have five monitors mounted on your wall mm. yeah i would wait just use that desktop because if that macbook's just sitting in a dock all the time i wouldn't worry about battery because these things are pretty intelligent these days i mean i don't think it's yeah constantly draining and refilling the battery i think uh, correct me if i'm wrong mac people out there i think it bypasses that battery when it's fully charged or something i don't know like i think you're just using the power connected to the external right now you're not just uh constantly draining and refilling the battery i think you're right first of all that is a very level-headed response and so i will i will abide by that i won't buy an m1 mac mini right now yeah you're talking about buying three macs in the next month if you're going with the other plan <laughs> well, oh yeah i'll just get the mac mini and then sell it and then get the 14 inch macbook pro then regret that immediately <laughs> then sell it then get the 27 inch <laughs> imac and then yeah you know then the imac pro will come out and sell that so you know oh no no i did listen i i do love having an imac desktop though just as a computer and i'm one of the like i don't do multiple displays i actually just like the one display i use spaces a ton and I'll have multiple windows like in each space. I don't know. I just find having multiple monitors, I'm dragging the mouse, you know, for 30 seconds trying to get to the window I'm trying to get to. So I'm a one monitor guy. If that higher end iMac comes out, I might just be all about it and do that. If you want to know my plan, I want yes. to replace my Mac mini because even though it doesn't get much use, it's there. And I, I do like going and checking it out every now and then. I think I would be even more inclined to use these computers, these uh, Macs, if I had one of the M series uh, ones. And I really want one of those new iMacs maybe a maybe the blue one yeah. for my living room desk uh just again just to have as like a family uh computer option that mac mini will go somewhere or i'll give it to a family member or something but that that's my upgrade path like yeah again i i feel like a dedicated desktop somewhere in the house is fine as long as i have access to my mobile computers elsewhere yeah i'm with you i am still traumatized by an experience i had in an apple store where I was overhearing someone at the Genius Bar and they brought in their MacBook and they said the battery life was terrible. And the person asked like, well, how old is it? And they were like, it's just a year old. And I was like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. And then the Apple Genius was like, do you leave it plugged in at a desk? And the person was like, it is basically at a desk plugged in 24 seven. And the guy, the Genius was like, well, you killed the battery. And this was like, seven or eight years ago. I was going to say, was this 2007? Yes, because it was older model MacBook Pro, like not Retina era. Again, Mac people out there, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, You know, you guys have been around for 100 years, so <laughs> I'm fairly certain. Well, I only have, you know, five years of history to work with for iPad Pro. I don't need to know that much. Yeah, I got you. No, but the, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe battery memory issues were a huge thing back in that 2000s era MacBook, maybe 2010 to 12 era MacBook line. So it comes from the crazy charging um, things that people do now. It's like, oh, I only charge my battery uh, when it reaches 20% and then unplug it at 80% because I don't want to destroy my battery. You don't have to do that anymore. And But that used to be a thing. Like that used to be a real problem where you'd burn out your battery charging it too much. And I think this guy might've had an issue with that. I don't, believe modern Macs have that problem. You can probably just leave them in all the time and maybe it might, you know, take off a year, 
you know, uh, let's say like a battery in these things lasts five years. You might be taking a year off the back end, but by the time you reach that point, you won't have noticed anyway and need to replace it. So, yeah. So I will say, number one, I went to the system preferences on my Mac just now as you were talking, because you now have the battery health menu in system preferences on Mac, which is the bane of my existence because anytime it goes under 100%, I'm like, time for a new device, new iPhone. It's only a 97% capacity. No, I don't really do that, but that's just the feeling I get. But my M1 MacBook Pro, which I got when they first came out, still at 100% maximum capacity for its battery. And I've been leaving it plugged in for a little bit. I do see there's also this battery level chart that shows the battery level over the last 24 hours. And it looked like it discharged a little bit, maybe three hours ago. I don't know if that was like it does that on purpose or whatever, but I don't know. I think you can trust your Macs now. I think your Macs, they're they're a lot smarter with battery than they used to be. So yeah, you're, you're essentially keeping it on a float like that battery indicator. It's not hundred percent accurate. And like the only reason why Apple has all that stuff there in the UI is to make lawsuit people happy, <laughs> but es- essentially like, I don't know if you know this, but the battery level indicator on your phone and on your Mac is not 100% accurate. Mm. It might say 100% and actually be 93% battery. You ever, If you ever notice sometimes you might be you unplug your phone in the morning and four hours later it still says 100% and then 10 minutes later it says 89. That's because these things have a pretty wide range of error and aren't always completely accurate. So that discharge and recharge that you might have seen overnight is happening again like it's it but it's happening on such a small basis like the external charge is basically detecting oh the battery's draining because it's essentially idled right let me refloat it back to 100 percent. now maybe apple should be smarter and float it at 90 but that comes into the problem of i just unplugged my mac after leaving it in for four days and it's only at 90 percent. you know what's the problem here and it's well apple's trying to save your battery well i want it at 100 percent when i unplug it yeah. so it yeah. yeah. Apple could do smarter things. Sometimes it's just in the best interest of the consumer to give you that information um, in a certain way. They're not lying, but it's not always accurate is all yeah. I'm saying. It's a tough problem to solve. I think it's that's safe to say. Yeah. So a final rumor here. There was a few tidbits of information about the possible iPhone 13 or 14 this year and next year's model. One TSMC who makes the chips says that Apple is expecting like 100 million A15 processors needed for the iPhone 13, which would be more than any other iPhone before this initial line of chips being created. So Apple's expecting high sales possibly for the iPhone 13. Maybe that points to some features that would be desirable. Again, most of the rumors have been 120 hertz refresh, variable refresh display, better camera system. I don't know of many other feature rumors. Do you know of anything else that must have been like this next iPhone might have this? No, not really. I mean, we're hoping we have our fingers crossed for improved MagSafe, maybe with data detection, but it's still going to have a lightning port. It might have a slightly smaller notch. I I doubt it. It's probably going to be the same notch. Right. But the iPhone 13 is very much a 12S, and that's why some people are saying, oh, it could be a 12S. The biggest changes being in the camera modules, I think, is what we've seen in rumors. But yeah, not, not a whole lot to see here. Right. So that's this year. Now for next year's iPhone 2022, Ming-Chi Kuo saying there probably won't be a mini model. And so if you're a fan of the iPhone 12 mini, those might be short-lived. Might be the last year you see the mini here in 2021. But also the JP Morgan Chase, there was an investor note, titanium might be coming to the iPhone line. Now titanium is something that Apple already uses as a material. I actually have the titanium Apple Watch Series 6. The Apple Card is made from titanium. Back in the day, there were 
titanium power books before the aluminum. So Apple definitely uses titanium a bunch. It'd be interesting to see it in an iPhone. This would be the iPhone 14 or next year's model. I'm curious what that would be weight wise. I mean, a titanium iPhone feels like it'd be pretty heavy, but might also be pretty durable. And my titanium Apple Watch has stood up pretty well since I've gotten it. So you know, I'm about the titanium. I just don't want it to weigh like 100 pounds. These iPhone rumors are interesting because, well, just get the titanium out of the way. It's a titanium alloy. I mean, it's not pure titanium. It's right. But it is very heavy compared to, say, aluminum or even steel. I could see it, that band around the iPhone having some sort of uh, titanium component. It might be more aluminum than titanium, but um, it, it'll just improve the durability of that band and maybe uh, give Apple the ability to do some interesting colors. Outside of that, I don't see it being that much of a use in the iPhone. And again, the weight of the device is very important to a lot of users, so I don't see apple maybe in the pro max only or something apple could introduce this material or it could even be a completely separate choice altogether say if you want the pro max plus titanium you can get this or just the regular pro max with steel right other rumors here the iphone 12 mini being the lot like or the the iPhone 13 mini being the last in line. I can see this happening if only because other rumors have pointed to the next iPhone SE taking the place of this. I think that makes the most sense rather than introducing a new iPhone mini every year. We just, every couple of years, we see a, them throw a new processor in the mini form factor, but call it the iPhone SE and kind of just right. replace that line with this device, which right. would work out, I think. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Listen, we all know what it's like to try and find a recipe online. You got to read somebody's life story before you even get to the ingredients and the how-to. Don't do that anymore. Save all that time and hassle. And with HelloFresh, you get incredible recipes and amazing ingredients. You can choose from 50 menu and market items to each week, from vegetarian meals to craft burgers, extra special gourmet options. All of that is available. There's something for everyone to enjoy. And recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. And not only that, but HelloFresh's produce gets from the farm to your door in less than a week, which means they're fresh and high quality ingredients. And HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to customize your order on the app within minutes. You can change your delivery day, food preferences, plant size, or skip a week whenever you need. I've cooked multiple HelloFresh meals myself, and I love the whole process. It's super easy. They give you incredibly detailed instructions and recipes when you're ready to cook a meal. I've had the white cheddar Wonder Burgers, which were delicious, balsamic tomato and herb chicken, and one of my favorites, cherry balsamic pork chops. They give you all the ingredients in the box. You take it out, follow the recipe, and you have an amazing meal. So go to HelloFresh.com slash AppleInsider14 and then use the promo code AppleInsider14, all one word, for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Yes, that's 14 free meals plus free shipping when you use the promo code AppleInsider14. That's HelloFresh.com slash AppleInsider14 and then use that promo code AppleInsider14 to get those 14 free meals plus free shipping. You got to try America's number one meal kit and that link will be in the episode description. You can just click it there. Our thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. 
All right. Well, I think that covers the rumors and leaks. Now, just a couple of news tidbits. First of all, if you're going to be heading to an Apple store anytime soon, masks will be required again, vaccinated or not. Everyone's going to be wearing and have to wear masks in physical Apple stores. And Apple has also pushed off the return of employees back to the office to October at the earliest. They were, again, talking about having employees come back. There were the petitions from employees saying they still wanted to work from home, wanted more hybrid work from home options and all that. But I think with the rise of the Delta variant and increased cases here in the U.S., masks back on for the Apple store and employees coming back to the office pushed basically removes all hope from any physical events this fall. You know, there were thoughts about maybe the iPhone event this fall could be in person with a small group of press or any other events, but I think it looks like we're going to be having virtual events at least the rest of this year, 2021. Yeah, the whole problem with the Delta variant is that we're just seeing some pretty crazy numbers over in states like Texas and with new cases going on. So the country, I don't think is going to go on another lockdown. I think the population's pretty much against that at this point, but Apple and these other companies, maybe like Target are definitely going to go back to mask mandates. Again, I don't see the United States enforcing mask policies again anytime soon, but other countries are already discussing it. It's just, right. this is very much back half of the pandemic type stuff. We kind of expected this a few months ago of like, well, we'll have a few more speed bumps on the road uh, as different variants come out, spikes hit. So luckily, I don't think we're going to be back to 2020 levels of insanity. But yes, this is definitely a sign that things aren't quite as back to normal as people had hoped initially. And we still have a few more months of this now. I'm with you though. No no in-person events this year. I think Apple's wait for in-person events to come back for other companies because while Apple's the leading indicator for masking up, they're going to follow other companies on in-person events. So if Google I.O. next year is in person. Uh, maybe Apple might allow a few people to show up to WWDC, but that's the soonest I could honestly see an in-person event from Apple. Yeah, I agree. Well, I wanted to give some thoughts on the MagSafe battery pack again. I actually used it real world as I was out and about kind of doing some errands and I compared it with the Anchor battery pack. I also have the Anchor one, which is not really MagSafe, but Honestly, when you're out and you're charging these things with no cables, you know, you just put the battery pack on the back of your phone. Both of these devices, the Apple MagSafe battery pack and the Anchor one charge at five watts. It's normal Qi charging. I used the Apple MagSafe battery pack first. I was down to about 30 something percent on my iPhone. I put on Apple's MagSafe battery pack, but was still using my phone pretty heavily. I noticed because of the trickle charge nature of the battery pack, like my percentage really didn't change. Like it would go up a few percent. And if I kept using it, it would go down a few percent. And it kind of did this thing where it would hover between 30 and 40%. And then eventually I was at a place where I didn't need it anymore. I just put my phone down, didn't turn on the screen for maybe a couple hours. And then I saw the battery percentage of my phone go up to about 70%. And then I saw that the battery pack was exhausted. It was at 0%. You know, a little battery widget on the iPhone tells you what percentage the battery pack has. So in just common use, I found Apple's MagSafe battery pack, again, keeping you from dying or the phone like going down into low power mode. So it can definitely keep you afloat for a while. It's not a fast charge. It's not going to charge your battery up to 100% if you're still using it and you're out and about, you know, using cell data, GPS and all that stuff. But it will keep your battery either where it's at or if you can leave the phone alone for a little while, it will charge it, you know, 30 to 40% in normal use. And again, I have the 12 Pro, not the Mini or the Max. 
And then I used the anchor one in a similar situation. I was in like 30 or 40%. I put the anchor one on. The anchor battery pack is thicker and it was more cumbersome to use. It was still pretty solid on the back. I found Apple's MagSafe battery pack to be more solid on the back of the phone. I wasn't worried about it coming off at all as I was using it out and about. The anchor one, it's a little easier to like knock off center a little bit. It was still charged, but just because of its size, it was easier to knock off. I found that the anchor one, which I don't know if this makes any sense, but I found it charged more. And again, it's a larger capacity. It's got 5,000 milliamp hour, but I felt like it charged a little faster than the Apple one. And again, I don't know if Apple is using some stuff in the background to like optimize trickle charge and battery health and all this kind of stuff. It just felt like, I don't have any like data on it, hard data, but it felt like the Anchor one charged a little faster than Apple's MagSafe battery. But overall, they both work. You know, if you want to try one, but you don't want to spend a hundred bucks, I do think the Anchor one is a good option. The Apple one is just a nice, elegant solution. It's in that battery widget. You know, the Anchor one, there's a little button you can press and see the, out of four dots, how full it is, but you don't get it in the widget. You don't see the exact percentage. So it's a good solution if you're if you're out and about and you need that battery to last longer on your phone i think apple's magsafe battery pack is a good solution have you used the battery pack at all recently and seen how it does the beta 4 actually um updated right my iphone so i can actually use it properly because before it would just show up as a battery every now and then it would say magsafe battery pack but usually it would say usb power device or something like that yeah now that uh, it's fully featured uh, it's kind of a neat little device because I attach it to my phone and it says your phone will reach approximately 85% with the battery pack attached. And uh, that's that's pretty cool. I'm not sure what people are expecting here uh, from this battery. I think they had a lot of unnatural expectations, like break the laws of physics kind of expectations, because (laughs) we haven't really seen this kind of device before other than maybe what Anchor offers. And even what Anchor offers hasn't been out in the world that long. So people haven't really had much experience with these battery packs. So a lot of the assumptions people are making were either just fantasy or pure guess because uh, from what I've seen on Reddit and other places where the the world's worst commenters uh, exist. Oh my, you're you're making friends left and right on this show, Wes. Hey, look, we all know Reddit's a pile of scum and villainy, but it's, it's fine. (laughs) Like it's, we, we know what the internet is. It's it's okay. I'm not insulting you. It's just be nicer on Reddit. <laughs> Fair enough. The the comments I was seeing like, you know, oh no, I got the a- Apple MagSafe battery pack and turned my screen up to full brightness and played Pokemon Go in the middle of a busy uh, terminal. And my battery was discharging on the iPhone, even with the MagSafe battery pack attached. It's like, yes, because you're using more power than the battery pack can provide. But if you think about it, your iPhone 12 would die in maybe six hours if you did that constantly for six hours. But the battery pack makes it last eight hours or nine hours. Even though, yes, it's constantly discharging overall, you still have a longer battery life. It has accomplished its purpose. But people seem to expect that the battery pack is going to somehow overcome this discharge and it's it's just not and it, it's it's against the expected use case i think apple made this thing so that if you're a person who has a long commute and isn't going to see many chargers throughout the day right. uh, dedicated wall tra- outlets you get to three o'clock your battery's at 20 percent. you slap this thing back on well now your phone will last until 6 p.m instead of just 
4 p.m., which honestly is fine for what it is. I'm not defending the thing. It is a little expensive for $100. And now that we right. know a little bit more about the specs, like the five watt charging, it is a bit disappointing um, in that respect. But overall, I still think it has a good value. Yeah. Um, I just believe people need to temper their expectations and maybe learn a little bit about how these things work before they go out expecting miracles <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And, and honestly, I was in that camp too. I had an expectation and I had never really used the anchor went out in the wild. And so it helped me realize like what these things are for. This does not replace plugging into the wall and charging your phone. You know, this is helping you get through the day. If you're traveling, doing conference stuff. Another example I saw was uh, someone said, well, my battery was about, I think 5%. And I went to bed and put the phone on the MagSafe battery pack, just the pack, not plugged in. And the pack was at a hundred percent. But when I woke up, and got my phone approximately 10 hours later, the battery pack was completely discharged and the phone was only at about 40% or 30%, somewhere in there. I said, okay, and that's that sounds about right. It takes about four hours to discharge the battery pack and right. then it just sat idle for six hours and drained the battery on an idle connection. It makes sense. It's not amazing, but again, like it's just not an intended use. This isn't an overnight charger unless it's plugged in. And that's right. the one thing I like about this battery pack is it is a MagSafe battery, or I'm sorry, a MagSafe puck, basically, whenever you have it plugged into an outlet. It just so happens you can unplug it and take it with you and add a little bit of right. battery life overall. Yeah, well, and I think it's important to remember, too, the last battery thing that Apple made was the battery case. Mm -hmm. And the key difference there was it plugged into your iPhone via lightning. So the battery in that battery case was directly plugged in, allowing faster charging, and you didn't lose any battery to heat or wireless charging. So if you're going to compare it to that, like you're not going to have the same experience. It's not going to be as good of a battery experience as that battery case was because it was hard connected into your iPhone. Again, it's just a, a better charging method. So don't expect that. But again, if you want the convenience of wireless, a pretty nondescript puck and the battery pack, MagSafe battery pack is a good option. I also, which I saw you tweet back at me. I was like, I want to carry this MagSafe battery pack. I want to put it in my pocket. I don't want to bring a bag just for this thing. What should I do with it? And so I combined my MagSafe wallet with the MagSafe battery pack, and they do pretty well stick together one on top of the other. I wasn't sure if it was going to like start heating up in my pocket and like burn a hole through my pants, but it didn't. And I kept the two of those together in my left pocket, my phone in my right pocket, and going out for the day, it worked. I pulled the MagSafe battery pack out when I wanted it. You know, the MagSafe wallet then is just kind of free in your pocket, but that's fine. It's a nondescript wallet and it worked out pretty good. So I like it. Yeah, it, it fits in your pocket pretty well. I, I had to make fun of it because you are sticking to uh, basically north facing magnets together. Yes. Right. Because like, if you think about it, both of these magnets are meant to face the, again, I don't know the polarity of these, but let's say the iPhone's the South pole, Yeah. the North pole magnets of the MagSafe battery pack in the wallet attached to the South pole of the iPhone. But now you've just stuck two of the North facing magnets together. And if you ever try this with your MagSafe devices, you'll notice that they don't exactly align. They, they align slightly to the left or right because you're actually each of those little magnetic parts in the ring surrounding MagSafe have identical polarities and you can't align identical polarities. So they have to shift slightly to the left or right in order to meet their opposite pole. And that's why they don't uh, work correctly. And that's also why I think the uh, MagSafe puck doesn't charge the battery because they aren't um, opposite polarities. So right. yeah, you're, you're safe doing this. Don't worry. Your, your pants are going to randomly catch on fire, <laughs> but yeah, just yeah. 
again, I think I tweeted this back when Apple announced this. It's like, please make one of these with a little slot for like an Apple card and a driver's license or something. And yes. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know how easy it would be to shield it from the mag magnets in that kind of case, or if the battery pack itself would disturb the uh, magnetic strip in the uh, credit cards. But still, I think it would be an interesting concept to see one device to kind of rule them all kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll put a link to my tweet too, because I actually tweeted the battery level graphs and percentages that the battery pack was at and my phone was at while I was charging it out through the day. So if you want to see the graphs and what they look like, I will link to that tweet in the show description, podcast episode notes. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. Has this ever happened to you? You need to see a doctor, but you search and you find one that looks good. You book an appointment, you rearrange your whole schedule so you can make that appointment. But when you finally go out there, you find out the doctor doesn't even take your insurance. Ugh. There is a solution. Just download the free ZocDoc app and it is the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews and book an appointment right there in the app. And then you can do the appointment for in-person or a video appointment. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. And whether you need primary care, dentist, dermatologist, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider and download the ZocDoc app to sign in for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. I've used ZocDoc to search for doctors in my area, and it's so much better just to see the doctor. You can see reviews right there and actually just book an appointment without having to make a phone call. I love it. It's my go-to whenever I need to see a doctor. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy, and now is the time to prioritize your health. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. You can make an appointment for like now, today. That's ZocDoc.com, Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash Apple Insider. ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. That link is in the show notes as well. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. Now, the fourth developer betas and public betas came out this past week for macOS, iPad, all that. One bit of information on the Mac side, live text, the feature that Apple announced at WWDC, which will recognize text and pictures and you'll be able to translate and all that, is coming to Intel Macs. The fourth beta actually revealed that. So it won't be relegated just to Apple Silicon Macs. So if you have an Intel Mac, You'll be able to use live text on that device. But more controversially, or what everyone's really talking about, is Safari. And the Safari redesigns that have come to both macOS and the iPad OS and iPhone. And we'll talk about the iPhone in a moment, but on the iPad, so this is iPad OS 15 beta 4. I put my iPad back on the developer betas because I did a Twitter poll and most people wanted me to do it, so I did it. And I was waiting to see if shortcuts would be a little more stable in beta four and they seem to be. So I have this update on it. And now Apple is giving users the option on iPad OS to choose their tab layout. Meaning you can choose to have your tabs in Safari next to the address bar and scrollable, kind of like it was originally put out after WWDC. Or you can choose to move the tabs underneath the address bar more like what Safari on the iPad used to be and on the Mac. Now, there's a tweet from Federico Vitici kind of showing both the 
older version, the iPadOS 14 version of Safari with the tabs underneath and the new one. And it is similar-ish. You know, each tab is basically a rounded corner rectangle rather than being a hard rectangle and butted up against each other. But it is still curious how hard it is to tell which is the active tab. All the tabs are very similar. There's just a slightly different gray color on the tab. It's good that you now have the option to move the tabs under the address bar if you don't want it right next to it. After trying both, I think I still prefer the tabs underneath the address bar. And so that's how I have set in the beta four. But people have strong feelings about this. Now, what do you think about the iPad beta Safari stuff? Well, you can't tell what your active window is, which is insane. Right. Yeah, the, the they may have brought back the, you know, address bar tab design, but they forgot to give us any indication of which tab you're in. Other, like the only way you know is like if you see the the fav icon or know what which title of the thing you're in. But if you have like three uh, Apple Insider articles open side by side, <laughs> right? You're you're done. There's no like you just have to keep <laughs> clicking until you figure it out. But it's it's insane. So right. I'm I'm definitely uh, one of those who wants to revert to the other way. I don't mind the redesign. I like the I'm one of those crazy people who uh, would download like Firefox on their desktop and erase everything except for the like the address bar. Right. Um, I was okay with that because like I just was never much of a power user in a, in a browser, at least back then. Nowadays, it's fine. Like my argument here is, is Apple should just give us a UI customization tool, kind of like they have on the Mac, where you can add buttons and change things around a little bit. I, does Safari do that? Or am I thinking of like Chrome? I know, I know Chrome does it, but you can't do that on desktop Safari, can you? You can customize the toolbar. Like, like I'm looking right now, You, if you customize the toolbar, I have like new tab, the share button, start page, your website preferences, like you can click and drag those different icons into the toolbar to a, to do that. Of course, a refresh is not one of the options you can put. Like that has to live in the address bar, but you get some customization there. Yeah, so I think if Apple really just wants to please everyone simultaneously, which actually might be possible is, uh, hey, just add this new toolbar layout to that menu and give us the ability to drag these around on Mac and iPad OS. Right. For me personally, I, I like the shifting tab thing. It's a little weird. There, I, I know there's a way to do this right, and they haven't done it yet. I'm not a designer. I can't tell you exactly what needs to change to make it work right. I am kind of a fan of having the address bar live inside of the current tab. It's just not quite right yet. Right. And all of these shifting animations are a little jarring because uh, yeah, yes. if you click on some the minimize tab it now becomes the active tab it enlarges and all the other tabs become smaller it's it's a lot to deal with i think there needs to be a hybrid of the two maybe maybe if the tab stayed relatively the same size like they did in the old design and kept the address bar in the tab i think that would be the perfect you know in, meet in the middle thing yes uh just ask a question do you think it's kind of strange like i this doesn't happen often I, apple does this uh, from time to time but it seems that they're using this beta period to design in public basically uh these <laughs> these radical changes from beta to beta are kind of wild for you know an apple software thing right like this isn't normal i think the last time we saw this much adjustment to the UI was when iOS 7 was released and that was a major redesign. And when it was first launched, it was like all hairline arrows and like the text was very, very light. You know, it was like ultra light font weight. And I remember that summer, 
after through feedback and things like that, it started to thicken up a little bit. And then Apple gave options, I think, in accessibility to emphasize buttons and things to tap with like underlines or whatever. And so I think that that was kind of the last time I remember this much design back and forth through the beta period. But this does feel, especially with how different Safari is on the iPhone and these differences on the iPad and Mac, this is like a far ranging bunch of design languages because it is very different. Like we'll talk about it in a second. iPhone Safari is a very different paradigm. And so, yeah, all this like designing in public, I think that's a great way to put it. Apple just seems to be kind of like trying stuff out, listening to the feedback and seeing what works. But to your point, I think the biggest challenge is when you have tabs moving around and resizing with any interaction up there at the address bar, you lose your spatial awareness. And if you're you know, using whatever, like on the iPad, if I put that address bar and tabs in the same line and I click around on a couple tabs, it's a little jarring. It's like, wait, 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 where did these tabs go or that tabs or do I have to scroll now to go back to the far left or far right? So I think that spatial awareness is is one of the biggest issues. I think we need to bring back magnification like in the dock on the Mac, but put that in the toolbar. So like if you're hovering over a tab, it zooms in a little bit and lets you see a little bit more of what's inside of it. I don't know. But like there's there's yeah. something here they can do. Yeah. I don't want them to give up completely. It's just, you know, I, all these complaints seem to forget that we are running a beta. It is going to be weird. It isn't always going to work perfectly. It's trial by error. And, you know, Apple users aren't always used to that. But for whatever reason, the people reporting on this stuff are seem to be completely forgetting that, like, hey, Apple isn't concrete on this just yet. Like, the GM isn't until you know, late August, like we got plenty of t at least some time now to right. figure this out. <laughs> and, you know, it's not set in stone. This isn't what Apple's releasing in the fall. Obviously they're, they're listening right. to concerns. So why are we being so hysterical at least? I think that's the concern is we are two months into betas because the first beta came out. WWDC was June 7th. So we're about two months in with about a month and a half left. And so I think it was like we've passed the halfway point from announcement to public release, at least in some people's opinions, it's not gotten better in some respects. So I think that's where the concern comes from. And I think most of the concern is on the iPhone version of Safari, which if you have not seen the redesign, Apple has moved the address bar to the bottom, made it compact and kind of hidden some of the things and made it some gesture based and all that. And I will include this screenshot as a chapter art right now, but this is a tweet from John Gruber, kind of building on something Viticci was saying, just pointing out all the different tap targets that you have in Safari on iOS 15. This is on iPhone specifically. And just with the visible places to tap, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like nine different actions that could be taken in just this thin horizontal area of the iPhone screen. One being you can go to your previous tab or whatever tab is on the left, which you can also get to a swipe, but you can tap it. Same with next tab. You have your back and forward buttons squished in there too. You have the URL shrunken there. And if you tap that, you can type in a new URL. You have the refresh button, very small, right there next to the address bar. Then you have the share button and a tabs button, again, to view all your tabs at once. So it's a lot of tap targets in a very small area. And some of the concern has been you know, people who are not technically savvy, this is a big change from the current Safari on iPhone. And it might be, again, a little jarring trying to figure out like, where am I supposed to tap for things? Because this is everything now in that one toolbar. If you look at iOS 14 on iPhone, you have the address bar up at the top, 
with the refresh button and things like reader view and text and colors and all that. And then the bottom, you have a second toolbar with back, forward, share, bookmarks, and the tab view. So you're taking two different toolbars, scrunching them into one, and then making it all touch-based. You're going to have a lot of stuff to deal with in a small area. And I think that's people's concern. I wonder what this looks like on a four-inch display because the uh, the first-generation <laughs> right. iPhone SE runs iOS 15, right? Right. Am I, yeah. am, I, am I crazy? No, no, yeah. you're right. So I want to see that uh, if someone out there is running the beta on an iPhone SE, please screenshot this because <laughs> it it has to be a cluttered mess. Like, can you even read the URL anymore? Is it just the, the refresh and the reader mode? It's all just jumbled into a mess. I, I don't know. I, this feels like one of those things where Apple might actually have to ship different versions of Safari UI for different screen sizes just because Oof. it's insane. But yeah, my, I, my opinion here is everyone's concerned like, oh, what about the people who don't know what they're doing? And they turn this on. It's like, what the heck is this? I say onboarding experience, please. Uh, I, like we, yeah. we won't, we won't see onboarding until Apple, uh, gets closer to launch but when you first click on safari give us a give give us a little video preview of what we're dealing with and give us the option of say do you like the old one or the new one if they're already baking it into the ui into settings for us to toggle between these i feel like this is going to be the final feature and uh it's going to it's going to reach the end of the beta period you're going to be able to toggle between the old and the new mm, most likely yeah. at least for at least for one release cycle maybe ios 16 won't do this right i believe that just like with Onboarding for iPad OS, when you get to choose between big text and widgets, this should also be a choice between old Safari and new Safari and give give people a little bit of leeway, right. especially on the iPhone where this is going to have the most impact on usability. Yeah. And you were right. The original iPhone SE, which is the four inch display, will have iOS 15. It can be downloaded. And the iPod Touch seventh generation, which is the same four inch screen size. So if you have an original SE and you're running the beta, yes, we would love to see a screenshot of what that bottom bar looks like with all that stuff laid in it. So let us know what you think, listeners. Tweet at us. I'd be curious your thoughts on these Safari changes. I'm running the beta now on my iPad again, and so I will continue to use them and share my thoughts for sure. So I'd like to do just a little bit of a lightning round. Apple TV plus content. Obviously, Ted Lasso season two has now begun. I've decided to watch it week to week. I'm going to I'm gonna be in with everybody watching it. Hit record-breaking views on that premiere of that Ted Lasso six times the viewers over season one on the season two premiere of Ted Lasso. So kudos to Apple. It was a good show. Is a good show. The premiere was very good. And also for All Mankind season four, the updated Writers Guild of America webpage suggests that Apple has authorized a fourth season of For All Mankind. It's already currently shooting season three. So we are for sure getting a season three, but it looks like maybe even season four. I really like that show. And like Wes was saying, he's, he's catching up on it too. So good show if you check that out. And then I thought this was really interesting. And I don't know if the video iPod was before your time, Wes, but two writers from The Office, the TV show, who worked on The Office, they actually credited Apple's first video iPod with boosting the show's popularity in its early days. Now, did you ever have a video iPod? Steven, I don't, do you know how old I am? Like, I think we're like the, within a couple of years of each other. You're ridiculous. I thought so, but did you ever have a, a video iPod? Um, I was too poor. I had the iPod, gosh, I, I don't know the names of these things. I was, I was in middle school. Okay. Look. Well, see, we're not that close then. <laughs> I was in college when the iPad video came out. I'm 30. You're at least 50. It's not that far apart. At That's least fine. I am at least 50. I'm at the most 50. You know, you did that Mark Gurman leak thing. It's I'm at up to 50. Yes. Up to 50. Yes. Yeah. The video iPod. I gosh, I know 
because the original one was fat and had a big port thing in the bottom, uh, Seda or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't have that one. Right. But I think I actually might have had one of the later generation ones because I do remember being able to upload video to it, but I only yes. had it briefly. My iPod that I had that I remember was the the shiny aluminum blue one. Uh, the Nano. With the screen. The Nano. Yeah. yeah. The Like the sixth generation Nano. The one before it went touch or whatever. Or maybe that was the Mini. What's the What's the Apple Watch precursor? That's the... Uh, that's the Nano, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that is the Nano with the touchscreen, yeah. So I had that, and then the one before it went to a little uh, clip guy, yes. it was the little silver aluminum one. So I had both generations yeah. of Nano and maybe an iPod video, but that's so long ago <laughs> I can barely remember. Well, I just, I want to say my first iPod was actually the iPod video. I was a little late to the iPod world, and the iPod video was my first one. And I didn't watch The Office on it, but I did watch the first two seasons of Lost exclusively on the iPod video while I commuted on a train from upstate New York to the city. I cannot imagine. <laughs> it was it was amazing. You can watch these entire TV shows on this tiny device. And because the screen was so small, it looked a good quality because like it's scrunching down this 480p video onto this tiny screen. It was like, this is amazing. This is the future. And I watched two, two seasons of it. <laughs> small tangent. Sorry, audience. But the Similar to that, I okay, if you want a little bit of my technological childhood, <laughs> I had a portable DVD player, very novel for the time, that was in the shape of a stereo. Do you remember these? Where you so. it had speakers on the side, you press the top tray, and it popped open, you put a DVD in it, and then on oh, the yeah, yeah, front yeah. was like the tiniest screen. I don't even I can't even tell you how big it was, but it was this little <laughs> bitty screen you could watch DVDs on. Yes. And it, it was in the shape of a stereo. And I watched Men in Black on that 407 million times uh, when I was like 13. So yes. yeah, I, I understand the small screens being something that we were okay with back then. But my God, I cannot imagine now. Like if I gave that to my nephew, they would just use it as a football. Oh, no, no. I, yeah, it's... Oh, no. Yeah. We have iPads now, so no, no one would accept this now. But my goodness, that's... That was an amazing device. I just wanted to share that, that that experience. And also, last things real quick, I want to sneak it in. I saw this article, Gruber shared this on Daring Fireball, but this basketball player, Giannis, this is an article talking about his rise to becoming an MVP. And I just want to read this one quote. In dealing with other prospective team members, there was a point center, this guy's named Thon Maker. Because he didn't have an iPhone, he was messing up the team's blue bubble iPhone group chat. And apparently Kid was upset about it and made the team... Like felt like this guy, Thon Maker, was not being a team player because he wasn't going to get an iPhone. And, you know, a lot of times we hear about the green, blue bubble things. And this is like a real life example <laughs> with real life ramifications that messing up the blue bubble group chat in an iPhone group apparently is a real thing. Yeah, you're not actually part of this team if we can't all have blue bubbles. You know, that's <laughs> it's actually kind of hilarious, but. Also true because, but this is a thing. Uh, yeah, with the young people too. A I few think. years ago, if you if you had a group chat member that had an Android phone, every now and then it would split into seven parts, and everyone would get oh. an individual text message, and it was Blech. chaos. Terrible. I, I don't. I think that still happens from time to time, but it used to be really bad. <laughs> yeah, it really did. So I just thought that article was hilarious. I'll put a link to it. It's from theRinger.com. But yeah, blue bubbles. It's a real thing. That's the show for today. Listeners, reach out. Let me know what you thought about anything we talked about or questions you have. We can answer it here on the Apple Insider Podcast. You can tweet at me, at Stephen Robles. Wes is at Hillitech. Both our Twitter handles are in the show notes. And don't forget, you can support the show both on Patreon 
and right here on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening there, you can actually do a free trial on Apple Podcasts if you'd like. You get an ad-free version of the show, early access, and you actually get in on our private Discord channel just for podcast supporters. So you can support patreon.com slash Apple Insider or right here in Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't yet, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I've been seeing those of you leaving those recently. Really helps out the show. We appreciate it. We've been almost in that top 20 of technology podcasts on the Apple Podcast top chart. So really appreciate you guys doing that. And don't forget, check out HomeKit Insider, Andrew O'Hara and myself. We talk about all the HomeKit and smart home devices. It's a fun show. And Apple Insider Daily, where you can get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes every weekday. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.